Hello, and welcome to episode 52 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. This is going to be part three of Bee School, but first I have a couple of announcements. Regular listeners who happen to be patrons over at Patreon, I wanted to let you know there is an early access interview podcast that is up for you guys over there. It's the interview I did with Tina Sebastian, who is a writer for both American Bee Journal and Bee Culture Magazine. She raises queens, works for a commercial beekeeper, just does all kinds of wonderful things, is into horizontal hive, has top bars. It was such a fun interview, so I wanted to share that early to the supporters over at Patreon. And if you are not a patron there and are considering it maybe on the fence, let me tell you this might be a good time to do it. Because in celebration of the podcast achieving 50,000 downloads, I want to say thank you to everyone by giving a jar of honey away. This is Highland Appalachian Honey from the Five Apple Apiary, and I'll send it to you in the mail. I'm going to do a random drawing at the end of the month from the patrons. And so if you are in the mood to do that, you would be so welcome to join us there. It keeps the podcast on the air. And as a thank you for those special people, I do extra blog posts, bonus podcasts, early access to podcasts. And also I ask their input on podcast topics as well as have question and answer posts so that people can have more in-depth discussions with me about questions they may have in their bee yard over at patreon.com slash five apple. There's no pressure if that is difficult for you, but if it's been something you're thinking about and is doable, I would welcome you warmly. All right, now on to bee school part three. So let's talk some about beekeeping equipment. The equipment can be overwhelming at first to beginners. There are so many pieces and parts and you are trying so hard to figure out what does what. And uh, there's a few things that are just the basic important stuff I want to start you out with. And that is, it is so much more important that you have healthy bees and strong beekeeping skills than it is that you pick any particular type of equipment. A good beekeeper can keep bees in pretty much any kind of equipment out there. And the opposite, unfortunately, is also true. You can have the best equipment in the world, and if you don't have good bees or good beekeeper skills, you're going to have a harder time. So all that said, I just want to give a few tips on equipment that I have learned that have served me well, and I'd love to share them with you. And if you find it helpful, that would be great. The first thing is, when you see those beginner kits for sale at um, the supply stores, beginner kits are cool. If you've been given one as a gift, then that's great. You'll probably use most of it. Um, If you have not acquired one of those yet, you may want to think about buying things piece by piece. I know it's too early yet for you to really have an opinion on what kind of hive tool you like or what kind of smoker you like, or um, but sometimes you can just pick out things individually and they can be more practical for you. The What I'm thinking of is those dang huge gloves that they include in beekeeper kits or these monstrous, huge, leather, heavy gloves. I do not know how anybody manages to keep bees in those without killing a ton of bees squashing them and which that's what makes them mad uh, and stingy. For gloves, I wear the nurse gloves. They're the lightweight nitrile gloves that you can get on Amazon. They're like $8 a box or something. If you are worried about getting stung, you can double glove, put on two pairs of gloves. 
This is a trick nurses use at the hospital if they really want to make sure that the gloves work. (laughs) And that works very well for me. A couple of things. One is the gloves are not skin and not leather. The bees don't seem to register them as a potential intruder or a carnivore or anything. So they just don't seem to care about the glove material. I think you can get that same effect with some tight fitting, I mean not tight fitting, but close fitting dishwashing gloves. Basically, if you could find some leather gloves that fit really well on your fingers, you know, the kind that you could do fine carpentry with or sew or crochet (laughs) with, if you can do those in those gloves, then they're probably going to be pretty good for beekeeping. The other thing I like about the nurse gloves are that if you do, they can technically sting through them. But it's like they can't sting as deep. And also, once you pull off the glove, it automatically pulls out the stinger. And if you do that quickly, then you don't have much of an effect um, from the sting, you know, unless you're allergic, in which case you need to talk to your doctor about keeping bees. I love those gloves. I can still feel the bees. After several years in beekeeping, you get confident enough to be able to tell the mood of your bees to not wear gloves if you don't want to. Nurse gloves, I pull them out if the bees are kind of in a grouchy mood. And I just, I notice that they're calmer. Like I said, they don't react to them as if it's a potential predator skin. And they are neutral material, smelling material to the bees. So I found them to be very helpful. I do keep a pair of dishwashing gloves around for emergencies. Like if the bees were really upset, like if a hive got knocked over or God forbid the bear, a bear got into the apiary. Uh, Speaking of bears, if you are in a bear location, please, please, please just go ahead and get the electric fence up before the bear gets your bees. It's so sad. Not only does it break up all the equipment or a lot of the equipment, but it also makes those bees mean forever. (laughs) Because once they've been attacked by bears, they're just, they don't get nice again. But the more serious thing is that you can't really keep bears, you can't keep well, definitely don't keep bears in that spot, but you you can't keep bees in that spot anymore because an electric fence really just works to zap their nose and that they keep them away from the area. But if they've ever discovered that there are delicious grubs and honey in those boxes, then a little electric fence is not going to keep a bear out. So that's why it's so important to not ever let bears get a taste of your bees because you won't be able to keep bees in that spot. I know a lot of you do not have to deal with bears in the Appalachians around the Asheville area. We have a ton of bears and if you're in a bear area, please go ahead and get your electric fence. Okay, that was a little segue. So here you are, you're getting used to all kinds of things about the podcast. One is I'm not in my usual recording spot, so I don't know what the sound is going to sound like, but hopefully you can hear it. That's the important part. We're pretty much by the seat of the pants on the production quality of this podcast. And then also I tend to jump all over the place, whatever comes to mind. Hopefully you won't mind, you'll get used to it, you might even like it. I hope so. Or at least maybe you can put up with it. All right, back to the equipment. So we've talked about gloves, don't get the giant bulky ones, try if you can some either close fitting very close fitting leather dishwashing gloves will work nurse gloves or nitrile gloves will work well and then if you you are you know it's like if you're not afraid of stings then you don't have to wear gloves but I want to I want to say something here and this is true of a lot of uh, protective equipment whatever it is whether it's your bee jacket or your bee suit or or whatever a lot of times people are very I don't I'm trying to think of a nice way to put it. Their ego is very involved in how they keep their bees. And your ego will do nothing but trip you up 
in beekeeping. And the example I'll give you is protective equipment. There are some people that they need and want to believe that they have a special chemistry with their bees and they have a special oneness with their bees. And as a result, their bees won't sting them or even if they do sting them, they won't mind. And all of that may be true, whatever. But to me, the point is if you get stung a lot, A, you're doing something wrong. Either you've got mean bees or you're not uh, moving slowly and carefully enough and avoiding crushing bees and startling them and all that. So that's one thing. But the other thing is, if you don't want to get stung at all, if you put on good protective gear, you don't have to get stung. It is not necessary to be a bee. I mean, you know, you're more likely to get stung walking around your backyard than when you're out keeping the bees. I have gone for such lengths of time without getting stung that I start taking off more and more, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I could be keep with no gloves um, in short sleeves so that I'll get a sting or two just so I've, I, I, this is not based in medical fact, but I just feel like I'll stay used to getting the occasional sting, but that's not factual. That's just in my head. But anyway, the point I'm trying to get to is if beekeeping is painful and you are getting stung, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're probably going to start avoiding going in, or at least you're going to dread going in and checking on your bees. And anything that makes you avoid it, dread it, fear it any more than just the basic fear of opening up a box full of thousands of stinging insects that create in any normal nervous system. You don't want to discourage yourself. You want to make it as pleasant as possible. In fact, you want to do everything that helps you to get out of the way of the experience. You really don't want it to be about you. You don't want to be thinking about you. You don't want to be thinking, oh my God, they're going to sting me or they're going to get in my hair. And oh, hair is a bad thing. The more hair you have, the more stuff there is for the bees to get tangled. As soon as they get tangled, they're going to start trying to sting you. It's really not fun. There's a long delay. You hear all this ferocious buzzing in your hair and you know you're going to get stung. It's just a matter of when. And you're either going to get stung on your head, which hurts, or in your hand because you're trying to get the bee out. So anyway, just keep your hair under wraps of some kind. And under a veil is great. And let me talk about the veil. As I've mentioned, I'm a nurse. And I just have to tell you, if you are fond of having two functioning eyeballs, please wear a veil. This just drives me crazy. You see people uh, keep, you know, doing bees with nothing on their face. And that's fine. I mean, they may have the attitude that, hey, I've got two eyes. I can spare one. But one bee sting on your eyeball can cost your sight. And to me, that's just a silly risk if you like both your eyeballs. So no matter what kind of peer pressure you get in any beekeeping circles, please wear your, wear your veil because so you can keep all your eyesight. Eyesight, the better having two eyes will make you a better beekeeper. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) On that, in most areas of the country, I don't think people probably need the full out bee suits unless that's what it takes for them to feel comfortable. And if it if that's what makes you comfortable, then absolutely get one head to toe. It does not matter. It is about what makes you feel good about going into your bees. And mainly it's about you not worrying about anything because there's plenty to worry about in that box of bees. And if you cannot worry about getting stung, that's great. A bee jacket, I think in most cases, is probably all that you'll need with a a good attached veil um, or some variation on that. Or if you are not worried about getting stung, then, um, you know, try it in a just like a long sleeve shirt and a veil. 
I say long sleeves just because, I mean, they don't really go for arms, but when you're starting out, if, if you have any hair on your arms, if they do land on your arms, sometimes they will take you as a potential predator. A lot of it depends on body chemistry and the mood of the bees that day, which, like I said before, that first year of beekeeping is not going to be like any other year of beekeeping that you do. That first year, that is just a sweet little baby hive. They don't have a bunch of old pissy foragers. (laughs) It's the foragers that will usually sting you. The little nurse bees pretty much don't sting unless you crush them. The mood of the bees change with the age of the colony. A big, burly, healthy, robust colony is they've got the muscle to back you off if they're just not in the mood to be messed with. The little colonies or beginner colonies, they're often not going to put up a lot of fight. This is one thing that makes working with little nucleus colonies, raising queens, so much fun because those little colonies are just very sweet and hardly ever will get up in your face like some of the the bigger colonies. But regardless, if you've got a good veil, you don't have to worry about them getting in your face because they're not going to get up in there. Well, I'm having to start and stop a lot on this podcast because life is busy today. I apologize for that. I hope you will get some value out of it. Just to go back and summarize so far, it is really about the beekeeper and the skills rather than any particular piece of equipment. Protective gear is as much about helping you get out of your own way (laughs) so that you can forget about being you and just focus on the bees. In my opinion, that is the service of protective gear and also to keep us from getting stung so that we can not have bad associations with checking on our bees. Now about equipment, the different types of hives. The main thing I want to tell you is all of the you know, kind of what are considered in the U.S. to be alternative hives. Like, so the Langstroth is the standard, like the 10-frame Langstroth is standard. And the things that are considered alternative, like top bar or long langs, it is not that those are any harder. And depending on where you are in the country, there may be more beekeepers, for example, who use top bar hives so that there's plenty of people to show you how to use them. The trick comes in if you're the only one in your area or your club using that type of hive, then there's a lot of people that can't help you that otherwise have good bee skills, but because they're not familiar with that hive, they may feel intimidated or they may kind of put it down when it's not the hive's fault. Any hive can keep bees well. On Facebook, I posted a a video of a beekeeper doing a cutout of bees that had built a hive in the tire of a big semi-trailer that had been parked somewhere. There was a hole in the tire and the bees had built an enormous colony inside that tire. And the beekeeper was carefully cutting the tire apart and getting the hive out. It was it was really a great video. That's on Five Apple Farm Bees Honey and More on Facebook if you missed it. But the point I that that brought to mind is with within the limits of what size that cluster needs to be to get through the winter of whether wherever you are. And by that I mean if you're in an extremely warm climate, then you know, top bars, they don't have to do a lot of clustering, so you can get away with, with everything. If you're in a colder climate, sure you can still do top bars, but you just want to make sure that the depth of the hive is deeper so that they can make a a bigger cluster in the winter. But I guess what I'm trying to say as the dachshunds gallop by on their little feet is that having someone to help you with whatever kind of hive, that is going 
going to be very useful to you. So if you are debating on whether to get something like a standard hive, I'll come back to that in a minute, or an alternative, you know, what's considered an alternative hive in your portion of the United States, if you can learn your skills on the standard configuration, you can then translate that to any kind of hive in the world that you want to use. So I want to go back to what I said, the Langstroth being standard. So the classic kind of old-fashioned way to do a Langstroth is to have the deeper brood boxes. They're about like nine and five-eighths inches deep. And then have the more shallow supers, either medium supers, which are about six and five-eighths deep, or the even shallower supers, which are five and some. Now the point is to reduce the weight of the supers that get full of honey and that in many cases you're going to want to take off for honey. But even if you're not even harvesting honey, you're going to have to lift them up to get to the brood box, which is where all the action happens and where your inspections focus. Um, a 10-frame box. It is a big box to me. <laughs> I use all eight frame mediums and there's two things here. The eight frame configuration, I love it. I It's easy for the bee, bees to fill up. It ha, it tends to have a more upright shape. They I, I don't have a lot of um, proof or research. I just noticed that the same way that bees tend to like the little nuke boxes and they fill them up and if you put that same amount of bees in a big old empty box that they kind of struggle a while to fill that up. So the, the eight frame boxes are not that much bigger than a five frame nuke and they're only slightly smaller than a 10 frame. For me, they're just the perfect size. I chose them strictly for the weight consideration. A full eight frame medium box of honey weighs right in between 45, 50 pounds. That is a manageable weight to me. Um, I also, I just think they're cute. The eight frame boxes are just a nice little shape. Um, I went with all mediums, and this is the part I really want to bring your attention to, because you could go with all mediums in a 10 frame or an eight frame uh, Langstroth. But the, there's several beauties of it, one of which is to kind of control the weight. But the other, if you hear wiener dogs playing and growling, it's it's not my stomach. <laughs> it's two dachshunds uh, trying to kill each other and tell me that it's really dinner time and the need to get off here. But anyway, sorry. Okay. So, but the part about the mediums that is so um, important to me is that in using all the same size, that means every frame in my operation can go into any other hive on the place. It's hard to explain how useful this will be in your future, but let me put it this way. There will be many times that hive A just needs one little thing, maybe a frame of eggs, and you have one in hive B, but it's on a medium frame. And on hive A, you've got a deep box. So let's say you take that medium frame, put it in a deep box. Then they're going to draw a drone comb off the bottom of it. It can potentially be a mess. It can also be handy, but that's a little down the road. Um, the worst case scenario is if you have a medium box that needs something that you only have on a deep frame because you cannot you know, just hack off the bottom of a deep frame and stick it in there. So the part that I would emphasize that if you have not bought all your equipment, or even if you've only bought a portion of your equipment, is to consider using all the same size box. Now, to me, the most reasonable of that would be either all medium 10 frames or all medium 8 frames. You will hear people who are not familiar with this configuration talk about the bees don't like to span the gap between the boxes. And frankly, that's all about population. They will 
span that gap if there's plenty of bees. If there's not enough bees, then maybe it would cause a problem. I've never had trouble with that. I find the advantages of having all the frames interchangeable would far outweigh uh, any any other things. Now when I go and have managed, I've managed hives for a community garden that had uh, standard 10 frames boxes and it was just stunning to me the difference in the cumbersomeness and the weight and also I, I quickly told them I just cannot use <laughs> deeps and mediums. I just have to go with all mediums. So I used all their medium boxes and it worked fine in the 10 frame. But I just like the eight frame a lot. So if you haven't um, bought anything and if you are not, you know, a weightlifter, <laughs> um, you might want to consider the smaller boxes. And even if you are a weightlifter, please, please uh, guard your back because if you're going to be a beekeeper till you're 90, you're going to have to pace yourself. And even those folks who can just yank up a hundred pound box of a deep box that's accidentally gotten full of honey, um, you may be able to do that today, but you don't, there'll, there could be a last time that you do it. <laughs> and I don't want that to happen to you. So just manage your weight. Keep in mind, uh, don't be daunted by the weight of anything because if you wanted to, you could take each frame out of anything piece by piece, just the same way you take it out one by one in a top bar or whatever. So there are ways to work around everything. Basically, I guess the message is don't be put off by anything. Just um, pace yourself and give yourself time to figure out what you like. Don't buy a ton of anything until you have decided you like it. So let's say that you know you want to, you know, have 10 hives. Well, wait, you know, use a handful of hives for a few seasons and you'll get fond of certain pieces of equipment. You'll like certain bottom boards, you'll like certain entrance reducers, you'll come to like a certain hive tool and that way you haven't bought 10 of something that it turns out you don't care for. So in closing, I would encourage you to explore different kinds of equipment, different kinds of tools, different styles of hive. If you have the option to go to several different beekeepers' houses and watch them inspect their different kinds of hive, you might get a feel for what you're drawn to. Just want to put this out here. I don't know where else to put it, but remember that if when you first start beekeeping, if you're not having fun at first, that is not an indication that you're not meant to be a beekeeper. That just means you're not sure about what you're doing. So at first, Trepidation is the normal state of affairs, not knowing what's going on is normal, feeling like I don't know what I've gotten myself into, all that's normal. Just go forward and keep learning. The more you learn, it's all going to come into focus. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here since there's just so much life happening that I need to go attend to. Regular listeners, if you happen to be listening to this just because I haven't put out a podcast for you, if you're not on Patreon and can get the early access one, um, I'm going to do my best to do one for you soon. So I'm thinking of all of you, very excited. If anybody is already in B-School, please write me and tell me how it's going, where you're doing it. You can message me on the Facebook page, Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. Or you can email me, blueridge714 at gmail.com. If you happen to be on Patreon, then you can always message me there too. Thinking of you all, hope you have a wonderful week. I will try to get back with you with a more organized topic shortly. Have a great week and keep studying on the bees because before you know it, spring is going to be here.